Hey, Moto Academy, another episode of the number one podcast in motocross. And guess what? I'm a dad now. So that's completely insane. Actually, it's completely insane. It doesn't seem real yet. Allie said the same thing today. And when you look at baby Millie is her name, Millie June Catanzaro. And when you, when I look at her and when Allie looks at her, I think we both have the feeling of like, we still can't believe it yet. It is day five, I think, or day six. We've had five nights of being parents. It's been a roller coaster, but actually it's been, it's been generally speaking easy. I know that that's unfair to say, but what I will say right off the bat, let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room. The biggest thing that people say consistently when you talk about kids is they immediately go to the negatives. It's actually very infrequent that you hear somebody immediately react with the positives. I think a lot of people have the gut reaction of, oh, wait to the lack of sleep or wait till you see how difficult it is. I got a lot of that, but I disregarded it. I knew that that's just, you know, people's subconscious just it's what they're used to just kind of uttering out, even if it's not their full belief. It's just a habit for them to utter that out. But I got a lot of that, a lot of that. And what I will say is that in my experience in the first five days, I would not consider it difficult. I, I really wouldn't. And I don't say that in that it's easy. I just say that it's amazing and we enjoy every step of it. And I don't really, uh, is it challenging? Sure. But it's not, it, it's very doable. You just have to get, you have to figure out the issue and, and address it, figure out another issue and address it and get creative and solve it. It's just creative problem solving, just like the rest of life is. And when you can look at it in that way, uh, then, and it's amazing, it's your kid. It's something that you made, it's, it's completely amazing. I could see the difficulties coming in where lack of sleep is involved, lap or lap two. Night two, which was our first night home, we had zero strategy. We just figured we would sleep together and give her um, Allie's breastfeeding. So let her feed before we went to sleep and then we'd be good. We'd just wake up maybe one time in the middle of the night and we're good. No. Second night, <sighs> second night. Zero sleep. I'm talking zero. Maybe Allie got five minutes. Maybe I got 30 minutes if I was lucky. It was that I could see how that could add up. If you had consecutive nights of that, I might start to get a little stir crazy. But thankfully, that was the only night where we've had that issue. New parents, uh, or if you're parents to be, a couple of pieces of advice I'd give you right off the bat, which we didn't receive at all. There's two, two of these. Firstly, firstly, pump into a bottle. If your wife is going to breastfeed, make sure that she is also right away, even if you can before the baby's born, be pumping into a bottle because it's peace of mind in the first few days that you know the baby's getting at least, you know what she's getting. You can see five milliliters, 10 milliliters, 20. And as the days go on, they have she's just ripping through bottles at this point but you can at least see it. 
when she's trying to breastfeed, especially at the beginning when like Millie can't figure it out, Allie doesn't know what's going on yet. You don't know if the baby's getting enough. So in that first night, Millie kept waking up over and over and over and we didn't know why. We're like, how does she not have enough food? But she would probably just wasn't getting enough. So you, you've got to pump into a bottle um, so that you have that for the first few days and you have it to be able to supplement beyond that, I would say. Second thing is it is definitely worth taking shifts. First night, we all went in one room, thought we could do it. Nobody got any sleep. So everybody was miserable. Night two, I took the first shift from eight to midnight. And Allie took the next four-hour shift and I took the next four-hour shift. It turns out that on that night, Millie was on the bottle and being able to get enough so she was actually sleeping for those four-hour shifts. So they were quite easy. But I'm a heavy sleeper. I can sleep through anything. But there is something instinctually different when it's your baby that's lying next to you and making noises a little bit. You don't sleep through that. So you have to split up if you want to get any sleep. Get in a different room. Get a solid four hours in. While, yeah, Allie might be in the other room with Millie. She might even be sleeping a little bit. But it's not really a deep sleep. You're always kind of on high alert a little bit. Um, so taking in the shifts and 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 getting pumping into a bottle has been kind of those two big things that we've learned in the last few days that nobody told us ahead of time. So if anybody's about to have a baby, hopefully hopefully that helps. But yeah, it's amazing. Really grateful. She's completely healthy. She's a little peanut. Just wrap her in her little cocoon. She looks like a burrito. And she just eats just explosive poops and sleeps and it's awesome and it's awesome and i can't wait for all of the different experiences i really can't one thing i've been doing from before she was born but especially now it's even more awesome is i've been reading to her every day and i go back and forth between <laughs> really high level adult books and children's books but the children's books that i'm reading with her are amazing. I stumbled upon this author. His name is Kobe Yamada. And he writes these books that are very spiritual, very high level and addressing all of like the, the major obstacles you'd have to overcome essentially to get to that place of um, joy and just like knowing how to be present, knowing how to uh, solve problems, knowing how to be creative, knowing what to do with an idea is the title of this one. They're amazing. They're amazing. They really are. I Before I started reading these specifically, I over the last year, I've decided that I I, I will write books. Now I, I want to write children's books as well. So add that to the list. But yeah, these are illustrated so so well and much better than a lot of the stuff that I would watch and read when I was a really little kid are like fairy tales that are honestly a lot of uh, the stories are not healthy stories like a, a happy ever happy ever after story is not a it's not a good story because that's not 
That's not how it works. Um, these ones, these ones are amazing. Can I just read like spoiler spoiler alert? I'm gonna read the last page. Or I'm gonna read the first page and then I'll read the last page. What do you do with an idea, especially an idea that's different or daring or just a little wild? Do you hide it, walk away from it? Do you pretend it isn't yours? This is the story of one brilliant idea and the child who helps to bring it into the world. As the child's confidence grows, so does the idea itself. And then one day, something amazing happens. This is a story for anyone at any age who's ever had an idea that seemed a little too big, too odd, too difficult. It's a story to inspire you to welcome that idea, to give it some space to grow, and to see what happens next. Because your idea isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's just getting started. And then the last page, I mean, the whole this book is amazing. It's not that long, obviously. It's a kid's book. The last page, I don't know if you can see the illustration. And then I realized what you do with an idea. You change the world. Which is very true. Because if you think big enough which most ideas, especially at the beginning, are enormous. And then what happens is you tell people and they judge it and you make it smaller and smaller and smaller, or you give up on it completely. Um, a proper idea, and if it's, not big enough, if it's not changing the world in some way and having an impact, I would maybe just urge you to think bigger, especially at, at a young age. What I want to really do in Millie is develop a complete unwavering belief in herself that she can do quite literally anything, anything. And so I, I, I'm excited to be that guide in making sure that she's thinking big enough and making sure that her processes along the way are um, everything that I study and everything that I try to portray in just myself as a human being. Um, and that's why I'm most excited. How amazing is it that you can start fresh with this little thing and develop them into whatever you want? I, th I think, who knows? Maybe she's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old and she's just a, her own person completely and it seems like we had no impact. I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't believe... I, I believe that babies are born... Everybody's born different. Uh, they're born with some predisposition because yes, you're acquiring things and traumas and all of that when you're in the womb. Um, but I think that if you spend that time developing right from the very, very beginning, day zero, uh, or even we were, I was reading her books from the time Allie was in second trimester. Um, I think that she's going to be able to, to really think the right way, which is which is crazy, crazy exciting. I'm going to answer your guys, your guys' questions in this podcast, by the way, finally. Sorry about that. I need water. I'm dying over here. Before I started this podcast, I was doing ads and a bunch of stuff that took me way too long and I uh, kept messing up. So I had to keep doing it forever. I'm going to answer your guys' questions because I haven't done that in a while. And honestly, it's one of my favorite things to do. So I have a couple of other things written down, but you know what? I'm going to close this book because I will ramble enough in answering your guys' questions, I'm sure. If you want to send in your questions, go to club.themotoacademy.com. 
subscribe today. You can train with me online. You can send in questions to the uh, podcast questions account inside of the app. And eventually, might take a while, especially some of you guys sent these maybe over a month ago, but we'll always get to them. What we're going to start doing is we've already started two podcasts a week. I hope you guys are enjoying that cadence. We're going to start doing one that's either with a guest or no questions at all. And then we're going to do another one that is strictly questions. And that's the plan, at least, moving forward, um, so that you guys can get your questions answered more frequently. I love doing them. I think they're entertaining to listen to. Selfishly, from a business standpoint, usually the answering of the questions creates really easy podcast clips for YouTube as well, which is quite nice. Um, but shoot, what well, what else is new? Is there anything else? Well, we had a baby. That's great. Uh, Doug is confused. Our dog is definitely confused. He is very delicate and he's very gentle, which is super cool to watch, but I think he's still a little confused as to what's going on. We have been out and about quite a bit. Yesterday, Millie had a bunch of firsts. She uh, she went to Whole Foods for the first time. She went. We went out to breakfast, so she went to get something to eat for the first time. We went to a farm to pick out a Christmas tree for the first time. Um, what else? There's a couple other big firsts, but it's it makes life exciting because everything is a first for her. We're just checking them off the list like nobody's business. Um, other than that, shout out. I don't know if I've done a, a podcast since or not. If so, double shout out. Matt Flood came to my house before the baby was born and we did a garage project. And by we, I mean mostly he epoxied the floor, painted the wall, took out all the ugly shelving that was in there. And now I have a sick looking garage. So now I just have to get some like Boxo USA race shop type looking things. It looks fantastic. And a garage project is one of those that you, it's way overpriced when you have to pay somebody for it. And it's a very time consuming thing that you never really want to do yourself. So it ends up being a project that never gets done where like in our other homes, there was the, that was the process is we would never get the garage done. Everything else would get done. The bathrooms, the kitchens, the bedrooms, because I can't do any of that stuff. So no matter what number somebody throws at me, uh, yeah, sure. I can't renovate the bathroom. I'll pay you whatever amount. I, because I have no choice. With the garage, I, you know, minus taking that, I could have got that shelving out, repairing the hole in the wall. No, I couldn't have done that myself. But epoxying the floor, I could have done. And that gets expensive when you have to pay someone to epoxy a floor. Uh, dirt bike riding, have I been doing any of it lately? No, sure haven't. Sure haven't. Uh, I have been cold plunging. I'm getting better at it. Last time I went, I did four minutes and it was 47 degrees. Although I swear I got a rubber ducky little thermometer. I swear the rubber ducky's got to be inaccurate. It feels colder than 47, but it's flipping cold. I tell you that much. And it, what a great way to start the day. I know we've talked about it already a few times on this podcast, but still been sticking to it consistent. It's gotten easier. I know last time I said it doesn't get easier. It has gotten easier because my, it's not that I feel less cold when I'm in the water. I've become more disciplined to where now I understand the process and I just follow the steps and I don't emotionalize the steps of the process where before I'd get it all worked up in my head. If I had somebody with me, I couldn't stop talking about how cold the water was. 
And when I'd get in the water, I would just freak out. I'd yell, I'd breathe heavy, I'd freak, it was just so cold. And now it is equally as cold and it sucks equally as bad, but I can go through those steps easy. I don't resist the steps. I just get to the water, take my clothes off. I walk right in. I sit in the same spot every time. I sink in and I immediately just focus on breath. And uh, we're getting good at it. We're getting good at it. Okay, diving into questions. I'm going to start with uh, YZ So Fast. Shout out. Hey, Moto Academy fam. YZ So Fast here. I have a twofold question. First part is MX versus off-road riding or enduro. Can we as new riders train effectively both at the same time or should we pick a discipline and just stick with that? Second part of my question is at home with the boys until we can you know, make a home track or something, what are ways I can make training fun for them in the process when we can't make it to the track or out somewhere to ride off road? And uh, oh, and if this makes the cut, I just wanna say, hi mom. <laughs> hey, mom. Hi mom. Shout out, YZ so fast. Good question. Great question. What was this question? So, actually, what was the first part of that question? Hey, Moto Academy fam. YZ so fast here. I have a twofold question. First part is MX versus off-road okay. riding. So, great two-parter. First part, MX versus off-road riding. I think it's great to learn all of it, but stay focused. So, it's already a lot for some people to learn let's just say motocross aspects of it, make some good headway in one before we're going back and forth and bouncing around too much. Um, you want to make sure that your learning is focused and not too spread thin. Uh, an analogy here, just because I've been reading so frequently, would be the the beginner reader that thinks it's beneficial to bounce between seven or eight books. I would argue that it's not until you become a higher level reader and then you can really kind of jump back and forth between them, which is what I do now. I usually have three to four books in circulation at a time. They're not really storyline books. They're just very strictly educational. So it's easy to do that. But what ends up happening for a lot of people is that it's just, you're, you're not really understanding. You're not really learning. You're just kind of reading just to read and now we're mixing it up between five different books. So you don't really take anything away from it. And then it's really easy to just kind of phase out of it completely because you're not really tracking any type of progress. I'd say the same applies for two wheels. Um, create a good game plan, be able to track your progress. If not, it's going to feel pretty lackluster. If that means sticking to one discipline for a little longer period of time, then that's fine. Um, if you can handle going back and forth between the two and as long as it feels kind of organized and you can track it, great. Second part of that question, keeping it fun for the kids and still making sure that it is productive. Uh, first of all, it's definitely developing um, an understanding of the fact that the it is only about the process anyway. So if you can really get them to understand that the learning and the improving and the growing is quite literally the fun part, even if whatever it is that you're doing in that moment isn't the most sexy or glorified or super crazy fun thing, the you can have fun 
I have fun and I want to go in that cold plunge every day. And it's horrible. <laughs> so if they can, you know, if they're getting bored riding around cones in the backyard, then if you can kind of really don't force it, but keep educating them on the fact that that process and the learning that you're experiencing within that is really what it's all about. But a more simple answer to that would be gamify it, make games out of things if you can, have have rewards set up if they can accomplish certain things or, um, but you want to be careful with the rewarding based on accomplishing it too, because if you're only rewarding based on the end product, then you're that's completely counterintuitive to the fact that the process is what it's about. Um, well, this is a horrible answer, I suppose, but yeah, try to gamify it, keep it light, make it exciting. Um, I need to think on this answer more because I'm going to have to do it soon with my kid. Uh, comment below. How do we keep things fun? How do we th keep things fun? We're on two wheels. We're riding a dirt bike. It should be fun all the time, but I understand the question. Because when I was a kid, I probably would have wanted to go to the track too, instead of just riding in a circle or, or doing figure eights. Um, practice the really difficult things. Practice the extremely tight figure eights with just the one hand. And they might get a kick out of just being able to just do it one time. And it might be really difficult for them to do. Um, yeah. Wow. Why do I feel stumped with what should be a basic question? I got to figure things. I got to figure my crap out, guys. Holy moly. Um, I, I'm curious to hear opinions on that, though. So if you're inside of the app, comment in exclusive content uh, underneath the video. Let me know what you think. If you're watching this on YouTube and this is a clip somehow, comment below. Let me know, let me know what you think. I'm very open-minded to any and all opinions uh, because I don't know the answer, really. All right, next question. Vernon K17, shout out. I think he's an aircraft mechanic. What's up, Moto Academy? Vernon here. Hey, Jay, I got a business question for you. I've been spending a lot of time uh, recently working on airplanes on the side, um, apart from my other job, and then a lot more time recently working on my buddy's airplane. We're doing a full restoration on the Cessna 310. And it's gotten me thinking if I really should open up a business, uh, at least have an LLC. Um, thought about having insurance for the business, uh, kind of cover anything that uh, I might not be able to cover because the stuff I work on, of course, is all expensive. Um, and also thought might need a bank account for that business. Uh, is there anything else I might need to kind of get the business going or any, any tips you may have when first starting a business? Let me know. Freaking amazing question. First of all, Vernon K17, I want to hang out with that guy. He's awesome. OG member inside of the app. Um, this is a quite, I love business questions, but this is an important one because unless I just misheard that, he has a job. And the, what he's doing is kind of the side project. That is a perfect scenario to be in because it creates a no pressure situation to where you can start develop, you can have your income and then you can start developing that thing, which is your business and really get it to a place to where you feel comfortable and confident to then make that leap to only be doing that. Um, create an LLC immediately, immediately. This goes for anybody watching this video, create an LLC. It creates a ton of freedom in, first of all, it protects you. It disconnects anything that you have 
in that LLC, anything you're doing in that LLC. And there's going to be certain things that are probably incorrect as you listen to this. There's people that are much more knowledgeable than me on this topic, but um, I've got quite a bit of knowledge when it comes to it. What you're doing in that LLC protects you as an individual. So if you, let's say you have an asset, you own a home, which by the way, if you're living in that home, I would, we, I'd consider that a liability, but it's an asset. So you own a home, it's under your name. Your home is then protected if your business is operating as an LLC, somebody sues that LLC, I think. So for protection purposes, having the LLC is important. Having insurance and everything with that, obviously also important. Um, the LLC also allows you to spend and write off almost anything you want. At least for me, I mean, I can be, we can be pretty liberal with it, with Moto Academy, our spending, just because all of my spending is truly for Moto Academy. I'm talking, I write off meals, all of them, groceries, all of them, um, our vehicles, all of them, the books that I would buy, all of them, um, obviously flights, tra any travel, hotels. Um, absolutely everything is written off. So, um, you're going to realize the benefits of that pretty quickly. And that's why I tell my employees too, my, most of my employees are 1099. And the first question a lot of people will ask, or at least I hear people, you know, ask this to other people is, well, what, what benefits do you offer? And it's like, well, no, hang on a second. If you're a W2 employee, just because you want to get benefits, I would say the benefits of being able to be a contractor is 1099, have your own LLC, be able to have your own business, write off everything. That's going to be a lot more beneficial than the benefits that you would receive as an employee. You could argue me on that. I'm sure maybe I'm completely wrong, but create, create the LLC. Uh, what's another thing I did right off the bat that was good? I got an Amex gold card because the gold card was just had a lot of good benefits when it came to um, rewards on, based on spending amounts. Uh, There's a lot of good travel things with it. Uh, had two times points on certain things. Had four times points on Facebook ads, which reminds me I need to make sure that that is still a thing and that my team is charging that to the right card. Um, pause, pausing. Although you can keep this in the podcast grant, but if this turns into a clip, you're going to have to cut this part because it might get boring. Hey, so I just thought of this. Um, we need to make sure, first of all, I check under the Amex gold benefits that there is like a three or four time multiplier for Facebook ad spend, because that's why I got that card in the first place is it was four times points on any dollar we were spending on Facebook ads check to see if that is still a thing. If it is, let's make sure that that money that we're spending on ads right now is with that gold card and not the platinum. Um, if that doesn't make sense, just call me. Okay. So I got that Amex gold card. Um, it's important because it, it creates, first of all, you, when you start spending a lot of money, you get a lot of points back. 
we go on vacations. I fly employees to a bunch of different things, all using just the points on that card. But it keeps everything nice and organized in one place. Also, if you're traveling a lot, there's a lot of benefits such as if you get a rental car and book it with, I have a gold gold card that one of my employees has and I have a platinum card, which I use and I keep on me. When I book a rental car with the platinum card, the platinum Amex, and I, you, you're not supposed to get insurance with the rental car, the Amex will be that insurance for you. I remember Allie and I went to Iceland and we brought the car back to Reykjavik and they said there was a chip in the windshield. They charged me $750 for it. I didn't have to stress out because Amex just covered it, which was great. Um, create the LLC, get an Amex card was a good first step. Um, oh, create knowledge when it comes to your taxes and what you can and can't write off because there's a lot of things that you can do that people don't know about. So find a good CPA. And then with that, not only do do we at the Moto Academy have an amazing and extremely knowledgeable CPA that I feel like we are covering all of our bases. Even now that we have a kid, you can pay your kid a salary. You can put into a 529 account pre-tax. I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of stuff you can do. Um, we also have an in-house accountant that does all of our um, reconciliations of the PNLs and just everything. So you can do the PNL and you can do the uh, accounting stuff probably yourself. Keep that in order because you're going to start to want to get a good idea of where your spending is, uh, where you could maybe save some money on your spending. Um, where your income's coming from, so where your focus should be on income streams. And just, it helps with big picture thinking. I can look at that P&L and it can help me steer the ship and focus on where I need to, to go in the future. I didn't have that for the first three or four years. But if I had somebody giving me advice, I'd say, do that now. You could hire an accountant for probably not that much money, even our CPA doesn't cost that much money, probably pay them a few thousand dollars a year at most. Uh, and then get a get a good CPA, somebody that is extremely knowledgeable with taxes, figure out how that works with your other job, um, how you can be writing stuff off. You could save yourself tens of thousands of dollars a year. We just switched from an LLC to an S-Corp because we reached a, last year we reached a threshold of creating enough net revenue and we had enough employees that it made sense, uh, or, or we had employees period, that it made sense to do the S Corp to save, I think it was 7.5% on self-employment tax. You'd be paying a 15% self-employment tax if you're sole proprietor um, LLC. And then it goes to 75 I think <laughs> somehow when you go to S Corp and then you pay yourself a salary. So I wouldn't have known those things if it weren't for our accountant and our CPA putting their heads together and being able, being able to advise us accordingly. And that alone, when you're talking saving 7.5% on, on a lot of money, you're saving yourself tens of thousands of dollars. So um, pay attention to that. To start, start there. Um, use me. 
Send me messages all the time. If you're doing some of this and you have questions, ask. I always tell all my employees the same thing. Like if you guys are trying to, you know, set something up, if you're trying to buy a house, if you're trying, utilize me. I, I don't know it all. I don't know anything, but I have a lot of experience at this point. We've purchased, uh, I think six homes, um, you know, going through the process of doing it willy nilly to getting the LLC, still doing it very willy nilly to now having a team of eight and it's an S corp and we're just kind of leveling up one notch of a time. I've acquired quite a bit of knowledge. So yeah, start there. Um, ask a lot of people, read a lot of stuff, try to just learn as much as you can. It's the best thing in the world. So yeah, especially if you're into airplanes, um, you're going to find that not only is it awesome because you're doing something that you love, but the business end of it becomes addicting. And I love that part of it as well. Um, Long-winded answer. Sorry, Vernon K17, but cool. I love that question. Thank you. All right, Big BP here. Shout out. Hey, Moto Academy fam. This is the Big BP. I had a question for AJ. Uh, back when you raced uh, Red Bull Straight Rhythm and you did an awesome Superman and you recovered it, what went through your mind when that happened? And if we find ourselves in a similar situation, how can we do the same to recover like that? Is there anything that we can do to prepare for that? Or is it just something that you have to react to? Thanks. Great question, real uh, big BP. So that's tricky because when you are in a panic situation, you instantly are in fight or flight mode, which means that when you're in fight or flight mode, quite literally, you end up in your subconscious program. So whatever you have downloaded over time as your habits or things you've learned on the bike, you are not gonna be able to make conscious decisions through that process. It happens too quick, your heart rate spikes, your adrenaline spikes, you are instantly in fight or flight mode. So your body is just going to execute your learned behavior. The best way to save yourself in a dangerous situation like that is to just acquire as, my, as much bike skill as you possibly can ahead of time leading up to that. I will say in my short time experiencing enduro, hard enduro stuff over the last eight weeks, I feel like that's a really cool benefit of that because you constantly find yourself in weird situations where you're having to like correct certain things and let the bike go or normally like it'd kind of be a bit more under you or all of a sudden you're rolling backwards down a hill and you got to figure out how to do that. So you acquire a lot of little bike skill that in a moment, uh, in an oh crap moment, you can put the pieces together. When the Pastrana straight rhythm thing happened and Grant, if you want to play the clip as I'm talking about this, I have a video breaking it down on YouTube. Grant, if you want to link that video, you can. Uh, <laughs> explaining the whole way through the process, but there was very much a process. My feet flew off. As soon as my feet flew off, I thought, don't let go of the bike because that's a lot. that would have been a lot of people's natural instinct in that circumstance because my feet went so high up. But I knew based on how high they went that I could still keep holding on to the bike and that would be the best option. The next thought I had was spread your legs as wide as you can because I just know that from experience, I've Superman before and I've come back down and I ended up on one side of the bike. That's no good either. Um, so I wanted to make sure I came down straddling the bike. I won't walk you through the whole process. I do that in that other video that you guys can click onto. But it was very much an instinctual process that I went through. 
but it's you can't call it instinctual because it was all downloaded prior to that. I had, those were hundreds, if not thousands of accumulated experiences <laughs> that I was able to pull from very quickly subconsciously and and fix the problem. So that's why we practice, right? Um, it's amazing when I watch that back because it, you can see how many things I did so quickly, but that only comes with the experience of having kind of each of those circumstances or bits of those circumstances happen at one point in the past. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, great question. Great freaking question. All right. Shout out now. Next question. Peter Estavina. Definitely not saying that right. What's up everyone? Hope everyone is well. Uh, so I've been only riding a 250 four stroke most part of the time. And uh, I was thinking about getting a most, more powerful bike. So I thought about a 250 two stroke um, instead of a 450 four stroke. Uh, I always wanted to get a two stroke because it's a different riding style, not so much engine braking. And um, yeah, what do you guys think? It's a good transition or what's the thoughts? Great question, Peter. Great question. So I am back and forth with Peter all the time inside of the app. I generally speaking, I not generally speaking, I know his skill level. I generally speaking know his height and weight. I could be off, but I'm not going to be off by far. He's probably 5'10". He's probably 170 pounds, close to that. So he's he's perfect weight, really, for uh, 125, 250, 250F, 450. It just becomes more kind of where what your goals are and where you're at. Um, Peter, for you, a 250 two-stroke would be a perfect bike. I think it's a better decision than going from the 250F to a 450. The 450, just you're going to realize it's fun in some situations. It's good in some situations, but it's just too much a lot of the time. The 250 two-stroke, um, as long as you get the right ones, there's some that are a little difficult to ride potentially, but uh, gear it correctly. And you can ride that bike, and especially modern-day two-strokes, you can just especially like the fuel-injected modern-day two-strokes. Oh, we got the Lenochis riding by on the dirt bikes. You can ride them super slow and you never follow a plug. You never stall. Um, they're very light, so it feels like you're riding like a play bike at times. Um, so it's a good bike to develop on. Um, I would say, yeah, go for it. You'd probably love it. The good thing is as well, a 252 stroke on a motocross track would last longer I would think than a 250F. For me, a 250F, I'm riding that bike so hard on a motocross track, it doesn't last long. I'm going through clutches, going through top ends. The bike just feels haggard after a little bit of time. That's why I like riding the 450 on outdoors because you don't ride it hard. Outdoors still, motocross stuff still does take a beating on a bike to some extent, but the 450, I can just kind of cruise and that's my pace and it works. Uh, and the bike doesn't, it could last forever. I had a 09 Cowie 450, had 200 hours on it, never did a top end. Don't recommend doing that, but it just lasted forever. And 250Fs get kind of beat up quickly. 252 stroke, I would say kind of same thing. Don't have to ride it super hard. Probably go a long time without having to do much to that bike. Uh, great question. Great question. Moving on, next one. OG member here, Nick Higgins. Hey, AJ, how excited are you with all these new manufacturers coming into the uh, motocross arena like Ducati, Triumph, and Veda? 
just want to hear your opinion on it from a pro motocross perspective. Okay, so I, great question. Great question again. We're just getting great questions fired at us left and right. Uh, my answer might be a little bit different from a different perspective because I, I look at it from a business standpoint in that I it's got to be a good thing, right? I mean, very clearly Triumph, Ducati, Beta getting into motocross. Um, or is there another one too? Stark doing the electric bike. You're seeing these manufacturers um, want to dive into that market, which means that they know that there's a market there to be diving into, which is great news for the Moto Academy. Um because we definitely have a global reach on the motocross market and enduro market now. Um, so that gets me excited. Shows that the sport is in a good place. It's headed into a good place. And if you're talking supercross specifically, it's you're, you're creating more teams, more rides, more opportunity, more money. It's all good things. It's all good things. And I love to see it. I love to see it because sometimes... I have moments where I get a little down on myself and think that I picked the wrong business avenue and like the hardest industry to make money in. And although there might be some truth to that, uh, there's opportunity everywhere. There's money to be made everywhere. And that just proves it. So, um, and by the way, if you have those thoughts, this is your mind playing games on you. You can make a lot of money doing just about the most random niche things that you can possibly imagine um great question nick higgins hope you're doing well dude um hopefully see you soon we'll have some i'll be down in florida this winter i'm sure so hopefully you make the trek down next question we're just ripping right through these uh mark 24 shout out from the uk hi aj uh Moto academy team um mark 24 here um not much riding going on over in the UK at the moment. Weather is uh, pretty bad. So I thought I'd fire in some questions. My question is um, crosswinds. So when you're hitting jumps, tabletops, any sort of jumps, and you do have a side wind or crosswind, um, what is the best thing to do um, with the bike to make sure that it doesn't push the bike sideways while you're in the air? Um, experienced it a few times and it can be um, pretty sketchy um, when the bike goes from underneath you because uh, of a crosswind so any advice any suggestions you've got on how to do that do you turn the bike into the wind etc um yeah any advice you've got be great to hear it mark 24 shout out another og member um and great question so i get that all the time at class the answer is how do you jump in crosswind you don't you don't just don't do it just don't do it you can but this is very specific. You can whip into the wind or you can whip away from the wind. So let's, we're gonna do some hand signals here. So for those of you listening, my apologies. If you're getting a wind coming in from the left side, you can whip with the back end out to the right. And I would say that's whipping away from the wind. That tends to work pretty well. You don't have to commit to it quite as much because you can let the wind kind of carry the bike out there. Um, and it usually will come back pretty good. You've got to have a very, very, very good understanding of how to whip. You've got to be very good at whipping. You have to be comfortable with landing sideways. You have to be comfortable in letting the bike hang out there for maybe longer periods of time. So if you're not extremely good at whip whipping, pretend you're not even hearing this. The alternative is if the wind is coming again from the left side, <coughs> you can 
whip back end to the left. So this would be, I would consider this whipping into the wind. You have to con commit to that a bit more because if you kind of half halfway do that, the bike's going to come back the other way. Almost as if you like did a scrub movement too fast on a big jump where the bike whoa, ends up whipping the opposite direction that you intended. Again, you've got to be a very, very high level rider, a very good person at doing whips and have a lot of skill with doing whips um, to even think about trying to do this. The problem with crosswind is it takes the wheels out from underneath your bike. It doesn't send you sideways because that'd be easier to fix. It barrel rolls you. Um, which is a scary feeling and it's something that you can't correct really when it starts to happen. So the few things you can do to combat it is you're going to have to adjust your um, your riding for the day. If you have to roll a couple of the bigger jumps, do it. I see pros do that all the time. I was at a, I've been at Supercross tracks in California where it got too windy and everybody just pulled off and just waited for a little bit. That was high level pro guys. Um, so what the heck was I going to say? Oh, Pick a couple of the bigger jumps maybe, or maybe some of the jumps that are really just catching the wind the exact wrong way to just keep the wheels as close to the ground as possible. Also, the lower you jump, the less you're going to be affected by the wind. I see people all the time on the same jumps that I'm hitting just complain about getting tossed by the wind. They look like they're getting all wonky in the air. And then I hit it and I'm like, I didn't feel anything. It's because I'm half the height that they are in the sky. And that's just because I'm effective at pushing through, soaking up and scrubbing the obstacle where they're just going to the moon. So keep that in mind as well. Um, but yeah, be careful with it. Practice it in small obstacles. Practice doing whips if you want, not in the wind. And if you get good enough at it, if you send me a video in the app and I approve of your whipping skills, then maybe we could talk about doing it in the wind. Um, hopefully that helps. Okay. Next question, um, I'm going to go through all of the ones that I have on this sheet, at least, which is one, two, three, four, five, six more. So if you guys are having a long drive, long flight, um, long day at work, whatever it is, and you want to listen, this might end up being a longer episode, which is, that's fine. That's fine. All right, Loki, shout out. Hey guys, question for AJ and maybe Alley Cat, I suppose, as well. Um, I noticed in one of the podcasts, I think it was the last one, um, she talked about being interested in getting into riding. Now, my missus is going along the same path and I want to get her into it. How would you go about it, AJ? Um, and what sort of bike would you get? And also, I suppose for Alley Cat, you know, how would you feel comfortable? What would you like to learn? You know, that sort of thing. What what should I be sort of teaching and reinforcing into my missus? Um, yeah, to keep confidence up, learn and stay safe, basically. Like, obviously, technique, things like that. But, yeah, just how would you go about it? What sort of bike? I'm thinking along the lines of a 150, um, like a CRF 150F, slightly smaller, things like that. Um, but, yeah, let us know. Um, yeah, any help would be appreciated. Super cool. Ton of Australians inside the app. Uh, so shout out everybody from over there. Great question. Great question. So this is dependent, again, on height and weight. Uh, my wife, Allie, is 5'6", 120 pounds. So the, the issue with her is she's, you know, on the verge of being taller for a... She's definitely on the tall side for a girl. 
So she's tall enough to be able to handle a full-size big bike, but it's just a bit too much power. It's just a bit too heavy. I had her learn on a KLX 110 where she could practice. Oh, did I have her shifting or did I just put her in a gear? I think I just put her in her gear, uh, put her in third gear and just let her go. No clutch, so she could at least practice throttle control. I think that's step one. I assume if you're thinking about a 150, she's at least tried a 110 and ridden dirt bike, period. Start there, start no clutch, get a concept of like a good safe sitting position and create a concept and an understanding of chest coming forward and head coming forward as you turn the throttle, even when you're sitting. As long as you keep your chest and head on top of or in front of the crossbar pad as you're giving the bike throttle, you'll never get whiskey throttle. So um, learning how to avoid whiskey throttle, definitely an important first step. And that just comes with weight distribution forward as you go to accelerate and doing that the right way. Um, as far as a bike that would work more long-term, I think a, a, the 150 is a good choice. Manageable power, the four-stroke makes it pretty manageable. It's a uh, it's an appropriate size for those of you listening. A 150 is like about the size of an 85. You could probably put a big wheel on it, make it super mini size. So for a girl that's 5'4 to 5'6, pretty much a perfect fit, really. Um, so that would probably be a great bike, actually. I wish that there were, um, you know, it would be a really good bike too. It would be like a Suron because that's a cool size. It's a little small, but not really fit like, Alley would fit that pretty well. The power is as fast or as slow as you want it to be. You could put full-size moto tires on it. Uh, that would be a blast of a bike to learn on. So um, if you are considering electric, then that might be something to consider. Uh, let's see, comment below. Those are the a few that popped to my mind off the top of my head, but if you guys think of something, comment below. Comment in the ex exclusive content section inside of the app if you're watching this. And let me know. But good question. That's cool. To, that's cool to hear. I would love for Allie to do it more frequently. I think as soon as we have our first facility and we spend a lot of time there, she will. And I'm sure that Millie, our daughter, will want to be around the dirt bikes too as she gets older. So yeah, I'm going to have to come up with a strategy. But uh, yeah, hope that helps. Okay. Next question. Kenny C18 did some riding with Kenny in September or October in Massachusetts. What's up, AJ? podcast uh quick question uh is any place a good place to work on your suspension like to change the clickers and um if not i'm about to ride a little first gear turn track behind my house and i just wanted to know if that would be a good place to test my suspension and make changes or not thanks good question and i would say no not every place is a good place to do that and a corner track in your backyard is probably not a good place to do that because Unless you have a super rough and bumpy turn track, you're not going to experience any of the things that you'd experience on a track. So this is, and this is a mistake people make, is that when they start going down the path of suspension adjustment, a lot of people get too specific for one place or one track or one track condition. And then as soon as it's something slightly different, the bike doesn't really work that well. So I always try to find a middle ground. And then to be honest, I don't really adjust my bike after that. I get the sag set correctly, which the sag of my uh, 450, my Honda's 450 and 250, right around 105. Get the sag set correctly because if that's way, way off, you're gonna have a weird ride whether it's stink bug and front end too low or riding like a choppered out fuel. 
you don't want either of those really. Um, and then just try to find a good middle ground. Don't spend too much time adjusting clickers. Certainly don't do it on a buttery smooth turn track. You could probably tell if the suspension was too stiff if you weren't able to really get that thing to learn and lean into the beginning of the turn. But beyond that, you're not going to get to experience it on jumps or braking bumps and some of the important stuff. So yeah, don't get too specific with it. Turn track, focus less about suspension, focus more on the cause and effect of what you're doing body position wise and how it's affecting the bike. Think less about suspension. Hopefully that makes sense. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm firing on all syllables today. I My voice, and I'm starving, first of all. My voice hurts. My throat hurts a bit um, because I must be dehydrated, but I feel like I'm firing on all syllables. We got four left. Shout out JPG109. That seems like it would be an automated username, but it's not. AJ and the Moto Academy crew. So here we go. There's a bunch of tires and a bunch of tubes. We got some Candas and some Pirellis, some Double Toe. I don't know what to do. What should I get? Like, there's a bunch of options. Some more expensive, some more cheaper. But I want to perform my best. We all want to perform our best, but also want to save money. A little bit expensive. What should we do? Thank you. Great question, dude. Um, okay, so I run a heavy-duty tube. Don't know what brand, but definitely a heavy-duty tube, so you're not getting pinch flats all the time. And then I run the whatever kind of the mid-soft Dunlop tire is. I feel that the Dunlop is up there with one of the better tires that you can get. But I'm sure those other tires are good too. Pirelli and Kenda, he said. I don't have any experience with Kenda. I have some experience on Pirelli. And I thought they were great. I just am very used to the feel of, especially the rear is one thing. For me, I'm a very front end feel type of person. When you change the front tires on me, I can feel the difference. And I'm very comfortable with the Dunlop mid-soft front tire. Who knows what the heck it's called nowadays, but that's my preference. I'd say you can't go wrong. Just go heavy duty tube and don't get like a no name or brand tire. As long as you're getting something that you know is of quality and you can save a few bucks. Maybe if the Ken is a little cheaper or you can find a good deal on uh, um, Maxis. I've had experience on those on a Maxis or something that's less expensive. I would guess the Dunlop is the most expensive. Then I, I, I'd say it would be a safe bet. There's certain things I wouldn't say that with. Um, let's see if I can think of an example. Like foot pegs. There's some cheap foot pegs that I've tried on bikes before where I was like, nope, get those things off because they're horrible. So if you were going to get parts of any kind and you're ever up in the air, make sure you send me a message inside of the app and just ask. And I, I can definitely clarify on that for you. Um, yeah, just like, with, by the way, another plug for the app. Just with anything, if anybody's listening to this and you have questions, even if you think you might know the answer, but there's you're a little up in the air on a certain topic, go to club.themotoacademy.com, subscribe to the Moto Academy app, just send me a message in there. Don't feel like you're bugging me. I'm in there every single day. Today I was in there for like four hours um, because Allie's birthday was yesterday. It's been hectic with the baby, so I took three or four days off from doing the messages. I came back to a lot. So I'm not fully caught up yet, but we're we're pretty close. Four hours got me through quite a bit, but I'm always in there. Uh, and I love talking to you guys. I love helping you guys. Ask me 
absolutely anything you want. Could be business related, could definitely can be motocross related, fitness related, uh, nutrition. I will always do my best to answer. If I can't, I will direct you to somebody else inside of the app. There's a lot of super knowledgeable people, knowledgeable people in the app that can help. And if I don't know of anybody that can, um, I'll at least do my best to guide you somewhere. So um, I'm just, I on the topic of the app, on the topic of having conversations with people and me spending a lot of time doing that, I have to say I am very, very grateful for the community. It is so cool to have a community of people to share experiences with, to share issues with, to create uh, solutions to the issues with, to be able to help. I mean, as a business owner, it is that's the most elevated feeling, I think, is being really, truly able to serve others with that one thing you're really good at. And being in there replying to your guys' messages is equally as rewarding as flying all over the world doing these classes and anything else that I would do because I'm truly having a one-on-one experience with you guys inside of that app. And it's awesome. It's awesome. I th- I think I feel good about it because it's so much value for the 2250 that you guys pay inside of the app if you're utilizing that one-on-one exchange. Um, so I'm delivering more than what the service costs, which is an important part of how you should structure a business to like have integrity and, and feel good about what you're doing. Make sure you're always doing more than what you're getting back. Um, and I just, I love every part of it. I love every part of it. It is so cool. There are times that I dread it, but it's just my mind playing with me because I get a couple days behind and then I, I will get, I'll have a moment of anxiousness where I'll think, oh boy, I don't, there's a lot of messages in there that I got to respond to. I'm behind and something in my mind wants to play that trick on you of like, don't start, push it, push it off a little more, push it off a little more. That's the worst thing you could do because then it just accumulates more. So if anything, that's just a good lesson for me. And just start now. If you have anxiety about something in the future or if you're letting something accumulate because you know it's going to be a big task or time-consuming task, start with start now. Start with where you are right now. Um, and what you can do is just be present and chip away at it. But for me, with this specifically, as soon as I start... I instantly remember, oh, I freaking love doing this. Even if I was, even if I had to sit down for 15 hours straight for a week straight to get caught up, I love doing it. So thank you guys for being in there. Thank you, especially to all of the OGs that have been in there before it was even a thing from the Patreon days. And even before that, um, we're growing this community and it's super tight knit and it's only going to get better because what I tell people now is, Listen, it's amazing and it's super cool that we have our own app and it's a bunch of things that I would have thought never would have happened, but the app isn't even good yet. You know, it's just the beginning. The app is great. It's amazing, but it's just the beginning. It is just the beginning. What technology will allow, what version two of the app, even coming out very soon, by the way, will allow 
is light years beyond what it is now. And it's going to be that compounding effect of it's going to just get better and better and better, which is so exciting. I'm just rambling, but I tell you what, well, that's what I do on a, on the solo podcast is I ramble. And this is the third one I've done. Oh, holy cow. Sorry about that. Just blew everyone's ears out. My apologies. Um, and I've had good feedback on them so far. So I think that you guys want to just hear me ramble. It's kind of fun doing these by myself, by myself, to be honest. It's difficult, but it's good practice because to be able to look into a camera by yourself and not have a conversation with somebody is a little unnatural feeling. To be able to create a dialect and conversation completely by yourself without, by the way, like I wrote notes down, but I ran out of my notes a long time ago and just make stuff up is challenging. And to do that, especially what you'll notice, hopefully when you listen to this, I don't say um too many times or uh or sit there thinking about what i'm going to say next that comes with practice i'm practicing literally as we speak in doing that because right now i have no idea what i'm going to say next but i'm going to try to do it in a way that sounds smooth and see almost said um but caught myself and just kind of flows out it's very hard to do, but it takes practice and this is good practice for me. So thank you guys for letting me uh, practice my public speaking. Okay, I got three more. Um, we're deep into this thing. Actually, not really. We're an hour and 30 minutes or so. Uh, is that more dirt bikes flying by? So many dirt bikes on the street. I got three more, but before I get to those, before we get to the end of the podcast, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do some shout outs. I'm going to do some shout outs because you guys deserve it. Quags 14, shout out. Real GP, are you kidding me? Shout out. Daniel Youngblood, love that guy. Uh, great head of hair. Needs more practice. Shout out. Premix Papa. Premix Papa. I have no words. He's the man. Putter. Shout out Mike and Andrew. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Dirtbike Dave. He's been super active in the app lately. Christian from the Netherlands. He was one of our trip winners uh, from just a few weeks ago. Shout out Christian. TCE Dave inside the app. Unreal. I know he's not listening to this, so I don't know why I just shouted you out. Uh, Roush360R, <laughs> 360 shout out. Putter again in the comments. Dr. Greg, I hope you're listening this deep into the podcast. Vernon K17. You're the man. MindMoto. I have some great conversations with MindMoto inside of the app, and I'm very grateful for those conversations. So thank you, MindMoto, for being awesome. Uh, your family seems awesome. Can't wait to hang out with you when I get to the UK this summer. Uh, what a great guy. What a great freaking guy. Who else? We're still going. We're still going. Sean Wilhite. Shout out. Barkbuster Ben. Dixon Balls. I had lunch with Dixon Balls the other day because he lives the town over from me and I didn't even know. How cool is that? Peter Estevina. Definitely said that wrong again. My apologies, but shout out. So, oh, yeeted and deleted. Got a whole shot on the last podcast. So let's see who can get the whole shot on this one. Uh, two slow pokes. Shout out. I'm going to do just a couple more because you guys deserve them. Kenny C18 definitely deserves a shout out. CR Luke 14. 
lot of people listening to the end of these episodes. Silky Pits, Topsoil, shout out, Brian Latimer. That dude's awesome. High level guy. Lucky to get to spend some time around him. Yordi, new member Yordi. Is he listening to the end? I don't know. This is a test. We'll see here for the t-shirt. I know you're listening to the end, so shout out. Um, and I'm just going to do a couple more because why the heck? Why the heck not? Why the heck? Doctor. Doctor's got to be listening to the end of this podcast. S. Peterson, 100%. Shout out. Local A-class, listening to the end. Thank you, local A-class. Um, Boto X, Jim. You kidding me? For sure listening to the end. Barkbuster, Ben, Chia, 48. We have so... And what's funny is I'm not reading these. Like, who are these people? I know all of them. That is so cool to me. That is so cool to me. And I know all of them because we're actually truly crazy, 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 crazy involved in the community. Uh, and I think that's my only frustration with some of the copycats that pop up. Copycats are great. Uh, well, no, they aren't. If somebody's doing copycat and like doing absolutely everything exactly the same and there's no creative imagination in that or even barely synthetic imagination in that whatsoever, that's no bueno. But if people are stealing your ideas, which I constantly have people come to me and go, AJ, this person's stealing your idea. Most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time they do something very, very, very similar, which I take as a compliment because I'm on the right track, I'm doing the right thing, and they do their best to try to make it their own, which is great. That's how innovation happens. I think that's important. Um, and we're, the only time really I get frustrated is uh, when people try to create these things and then just think that a name maybe can carry, carry them through it. And there's little to no involvement on the personal level and this thing is a freaking community 100 if you're li listening this deep into an episode you know it is i dedicate my life to this and it's a community so um let's not call it a community anybody else unless it actually is i'm not calling out anybody specifically either but just be careful if you use the word community because that's that's a that, that word's up there. That's an important word. What the heck else was I doing? We got three more questions. And guess what? The next one is from here for the t-shirt. Dude's just got a head of hair. I would do anything for that head of hair. You kidding? I actually, for this podcast, I didn't turn on the upper lights. I only turned on my light bar there in hoping that it would stop illuminating the bald top of my head so I could not wear a hat. So let me know. Does my hair look less bald in this episode? Vote down below. Let me know. Let me know in the comments. Take a vote. Do I look bald or do I look good based on that light off versus it on? I could actually probably show you. So this is light off. I have my that light. The, the roof lights are off. Okay. This is roof lights on is it worse is it better grant editor's note let me know after this what looks better lights on or lights off let me know we're really getting off topic here for the t-shirt shout out suspension question uh, i rented a yamaha 254 stroke 
it was way easier to ride than my KTM 252 stroke but the suspension was so much better rental bike kind of worn out um, but I could ride faster jump farther way better than my my KTM suspension with my air fork in your experience can we tune that KTM suspension to make it feel like a Yamaha I know the Yamahas have great suspension off the showroom floor without spending three grand mm. what do you think thanks great question also looking very curious with that beard grooming movement as you're asking the question the Yamaha has one of the most plush feels out of the box um and it is a, I don't know much about spring versus air or which bikes have what but the I think the spring has something to do with that it's got a really progressive feel uh it doesn't feel super rigid it's just nice and plush but it has hold up the KTM the the Honda for sure I think it's got a spring in it but the Honda no it definitely has spring feels very rigid out of the box the KTM feels maybe a little hollow and like it's not really rigid and stiff, but it's not really plush either. It's like, it feels hollow. And maybe that's the feel of the air. I don't know how, I'm sure there's a way maybe to get that adjusted the way that you would want, but I don't know how to do it. And maybe there's not. I know a lot of people do spring conversions. Hmm. Comment down below. I feel bad that I can't really appropriately answer this question, but there's got to be something you could do for not breaking the bank and spending like money to get a kit or to do a spring conversion, which is probably expensive. There's got to be a setting that you can do to try to get something closer to that feel. Um, crap, you've stumped me, but I, but I don't know. Um, you could just sell the bike and get a Yamaha and then just keep the stock suspension. You could, uh, what else? Yeah, air was always tricky because there was, at least the years that I rode air, one year comes to mind right away. T 2013, I was on a Cowie 450 riding outdoors. It had, I think, different air controlling different things in either fork. And then it had a canister down bottom of one of the forks, which that air controlled something different. So you had three air pressures to worry about, I think. That's what I remember. And there was a million and one ways to adjust the bike a direction that you wanted. Where in the springs, it could just be like, oh, well, go three clicks in with the compression. Done deal. Nope, uh, not for the air. So it was super confusing. <clears throat> I'm sure there's a way to get there. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, we got another question coming in from Bull786. Oh, I remember him. So he had a bike at a class at Airway Heights in Washington. And it was, I was kind of like getting on him. He had great attack position, but he couldn't get through this corner to save his life. I'm like, what's going on? Then I tried the bike. It was the hardest bike to ride of all time because it was running so poorly. I think he's since got that fixed. He also has since bought a modern day bike, which he's been enjoying. What's up, AJ? What's up, Moto Academy? Anybody on this podcast? My question is, I got a wife that absolutely hates me riding. My kids love riding, and they're starting to work on motocross, but she absolutely despises it. And uh, I don't know. Need some help with that if you guys got any pointers. And then I had a suggestion on your trip giveaways what if you did the opposite what if your trip giveaway was you come out to somebody's area and 
they show you all their tracks. I don't know, just a thought. That's a great freaking idea, although obvious. Why haven't we thought of that? We just fly into people. Most people can't hop on a plane and fly God knows where to come visit me. But it'd be pretty easy for... Please hold. Please hold. We're going to write that down. We're going to write that down. The subscribers. Home track. That would be easy for us to do because we could integrate that into our normal travel calendar. So that could be just flying in a day early and surprising a subscriber with like a, hey, let's go ride the track one-on-one -on -one experience type of thing. That would be easy for us to do. <coughs> and it would probably make the barrier of entry little easier for people that don't have as flexible of a schedule so great freaking idea and also great and difficult questions so you love riding your wife in this circumstance or maybe some people listening your girlfriend your significant other your parent maybe even despises it i think that uh okay let's see hmm I think as a partner, you have to be, you have to be open-minded enough to understand that your partner loves something. And so you should try to figure out a solution or a compromise maybe of some sort, but, or not, but, and what I will say is that the best way of doing it would be creating a really calculated plan to prove that it can be safe because that's why I'm passionate about doing this. I believe that it can be done really, really controlled and really safe. Uh, and guess what? You're in the out, you're in the spot, you're in the spot to do it. So, uh, I would just create evidence for her that you are taking all of the right steps to make it as, as safe as humanly possible. Maybe show her, have her listen to this in that I am 30 years old. So yes, I'm a child. I don't know anything yet, but I've been pro for 15 years. I've raced since I was two years old. I've trained with every single riding coach, trainer, high level person in the sport that you could possibly work with and kind of pulled all of that information into my own philosophy. And I've, with that, I've created what I believe is like the safest, most efficient way to ride a dirt bike that's ever existed. And that way of riding is pretty simple and it's very safe. For me, I ride at a high rate of speed and it would take it takes a lot, usually, to end up putting me on the ground, a lot. It would take a bike malfunction, it would take somebody flying across the track and flying into me, all things that, yes, are possible. But for the most part, my wife can have peace of mind. My mom can have peace of mind in that I'm not like a daredevil out there risking life and limb every time I step foot on the bike. It's just not the case if you're doing it right. And if you're in the Moto Academy app, I can only assume that you're doing it right, uh, at least trying to. So create that evidence the best you can and just have good conversation with it. Don't be super stern and uh close-minded on your end either. Just try to understand why that individual is thinking a certain way 
and you can be empathetic towards that way of thinking because it's very logical. You don't, they don't want their significant other to get hurt. And then, uh, just explain the steps that you can take to mitigate that risk and why it's so important for you that you want to continue doing that thing. I think that there, that's a conversation 100% that can end up in a really good place and everybody could be happy at the end of it. It might not be a, a simple conversation, but it's, it's 100%, it's 100 possible. I could have a couple sit down in front of me, I bet, and work them through that conversation fairly easily. Uh, with maybe just an hour or two of time. And um, yeah, that's that's important. Allie went through a phase where she was close to that. She didn't completely despise it, but she definitely, especially there was a few times I got hurt when I was with her that she was questioning what I was doing. Uh, so I could see how that could snowball into where I could, I had glimpses of maybe a, a significant other that wasn't all about it at one point. But thankfully I've, I've always had people around me that, um, were okay with me and trusting that I knew enough to be able to mitigate the risk the best as possible, because let's face it, everything is dangerous. Driving a car is extremely dangerous. Crossing the street can be extremely dangerous. Flying in a plane pretty safe and calculated, but it can be dangerous. And you, I mean, anything can kill you at any time. I, I, I think you can definitely end up on one extreme as far as that level of thinking as well. So yeah. Um, Mrs. Bull 786, if you want some more peace of mind and you want to send me a message inside of the app and I, you have questions, uh, I can answer them. I'm open mind. I don't really have any stern opinions on anything, uh, but I can educate you with w any questions that you might have, um, or if you have knowledge or information that I don't know, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing that as well. Okay, hopefully that helps. Next question, Adams86, shout out. I want to say he's from Australia too. What's up, Moto Academy? Damien here, or as known as Adams86 in the app. Um, I just wanted to ask you guys um, how things have changed over the years with your training programs and everything. Now, obviously, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, so it's a big passion of mine um, and something I work on a lot. I'd love to know what your training regime looks like now, how it looks in comparison to when you were racing full-time professionally all the time and, and dedicated sort of your life to it, um, and how it's differed over the years. Obviously, um, it's evolved a lot over time. Um, it used to be a lot of focus on cardio. Now we're seeing a big movement on people um, realizing the importance of strength training as well. So yeah, love to hear your thoughts. Great, great freaking question, Adams86. Great question. It, it's This is the tricky part. I feel as though it is ever evolving. However, there are certain things that I... It is ever evolving, but at the very least... It's doing this. It's getting a little better, a little better, a little better, a little better. I make changes. I switch things up. I get bored of things. Uh, yes, I feel like that's normal for everybody. I'll walk you through some of the phases maybe that I've had. And this is just speaking on a completely personal level. So when I first turned pro, let's use the very first year as example. 2011, I raced outdoor 
the full outdoor series, I think, on a Yamaha 450. I was 16 years old. I weighed 145 pounds. The problem I had, and I was probably 3% body fat, maybe less, which is like sickly almost. The problem I had is that I had great cardio, but I literally couldn't hold on to the bike. And 15 minutes in, I would be burning uh, all of my, everything would be burnt. And I'd be just burning like muscle at that point because I'd run out of all my fuel <laughs> uh, and I couldn't finish a moto. Then 2013, 2014, it was 2012 even, I started getting more and more and more into uh, strength training. I don't think in those years I did much cardio at all other than on the bike. I just was big into strength. So now I weighed 100 and, depending on the year, 155 to 168 in that range. At 168, I'm pretty, I'm jacked at 168. That didn't work that great either for me because I was certainly not very flexible in those years. And my cardio, I wasn't on top of my cardio either. And the movements I was doing, um, I think I was just doing too heavy a weight, too few of reps. So it was, I was still cut and shredded, but I was too, I think I was too big. Um, fast forward to now 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, those years I was so afraid of doing strength because I thought that, you know, doing a one dumbbell curl or a freaking pushup would make me get arm pump that I was like training like a pro cyclist in those years. And I got to a pro cyclist level. I was, uh, my FTP was like five point something, which was 360 watts that I could carry for an hour. Um, I was very much professional cyclist level and probably weighed mm, 150 pounds. Um, but I got a extreme, extreme, extreme lower back pain chronic lower back pain to the point where I couldn't even function. And I felt like my technique on the bike in those years maybe got worse. And that was because I just structurally didn't have a good balance. I was just very, very heavy on certain muscles. And so certain muscles were uh, too strong. Certain muscles were fit just too weak. And it was creating like, that, that's what created the lower back pain. Yeah. Little did I know, like that lower back pain was, was from tight hip flexors. It was from weak hamstrings. It was from probably quads that were too strong uh, and maybe weak lower abs. And it was creating this chronic, chronic lower back pain. So as I started to learn, okay, now I can become more of a functional athlete. Now I've got a good balance. I probably, no, I definitely could do more cardio, but I'm in the gym five days a week. I'm on the bicycle right now. I'm on the bicycle three to four times a week, which should probably be five or six. Uh, and I've got a good balance when it comes to that, which is nice. Everybody's different. Everybody has, uh, you know, different genetic makeup to a sense. So I've always been very fast twitch. I could build muscle quickly. I looked defined and I, it like just quickly where you look at um, Alex Martin, Jeremy Martin, Carmichael, Stewart, Reed, 
they're all slow twitch type guys, it seems, because they're definitely like a little kind of pudgier in a sense, right? Uh, I think for motocross, that can definitely have its benefits. Uh, where you see a Roxon guy that definitely seems more fast twitch, like very muscular, and it's obvious that he's muscular. Uh, Anderson, slow twitch, gotta be, right? He looks like he's out of shape. Um, yeah, so it's ever evolving. And like I said, I get bored of things and I like to bounce around and try different stuff. Right now, you guys have heard it, I'm sure a million freaking times, but I'm just big into the cold plunge stuff. And I feel like that's had so many benefits for me, not just physically, but mostly mentally. And uh, yeah, yeah, I forget the last part of his question, but hopefully that answered it a little bit. And I'm starting to, I'm doing one of these now. I was firing on all syllables. Now we're fading. We're fading. We're deep into the moto. We're almost two hours in. Thank you guys for listening. Another solo episode. Please comment below, especially if you're inside of the app. Uh, let me know. Do you like these? Do you get bored of them? Do you like the conversation about mindset? Do you like the conversations about business? Do we want to keep it strictly moto? Do we like a little bit of everything? Let me know. Let me know. Okay. Allie's pulling in the driveway. I got a hungry dog in the house. I'm going to enjoy a nice dinner with the wife and baby and dog. And I will see you guys next episode. Thank you, everybody, for everything inside of the Moto Academy app. You guys are awesome. Toodaloo.